City University Television presents the American Theatre Wing Seminars. Working in the theater. This seminar, design. Welcome to the American Theatre Wings Working in the Theatre Seminars. These are now in their 30th year, coming to you from the Graduate Center at the City University of New York. These seminars offer a rare opportunity to explore with the panelists the realities of working in the theatre. This panel discussion is with stage designers. We will learn something about how and why these scenic, costume, and lighting designers became professionals, and just how significant your contributions are to the success of any theatrical production. I'm Isabel Stevenson, Chairman of the Board of the American Theatre Wing, and now I would like to introduce our moderator for the seminar, the distinguished critic, professor, and new editor of the Best Plays book series, Jeffrey Eric Jenkins. Mr. Jenkins. Thank you, Isabel. For those of us who spend a great deal of our time in those large, dark rooms we call theaters. We talk a lot about the magic of the theater. Today, we're fortunate to have with us the people I believe are largely responsible for conjuring that magic. Uh, to my immediate right, I want to introduce them to you, are uh, Martin Pakladines, who is a costume designer, Scott Pask, who is a scenic designer, Richard Pilbro, who is a lighting designer, Jane Greenwood, who is a costume designer, and John Arnone, who is a scenery designer. I want to start first today with uh, Martin Pakladines. I want to ask you uh, about the, the process that unfolds. You've got the job. Now, what happens next? <clears throat> what do you do? What is the process? How do you encounter the text? How do you encounter the process? Do you do you get involved with sketches right away? Do you get involved with the conversations? How does that start for you? Well, I guess after you go to church and say thank you, <laughs> you, um, <laughs> you, you read the script uh, as many times as you feel you should. Hopefully you have time to read it a couple of times, but sometimes you just have to get in there right away. I find for me, I like to get into the director and choreographer as soon as possible because if I'm on my own, I'll start having too many ideas on my own, and because of what what we need is a collaboration, and I need to be led by that director. I need to get into their mind first. I guess that's my first step. Jane Greenwood, how does that work for you? Is there a similar process? There's a lot of sketching, obviously, that goes, in, uh, goes into designing costumes, and I imagine there's a process of sketching and sketching. How does that work for you? Well, it's, uh, it's interesting. I think that Marty brought up something very important is reading the text. I think the text is the most important to spend time on at the beginning. If there's a living playwright, to be able to talk to him about the play, to be able to talk to the director, the choreographer, so that everybody is, is working on what they think is the same 
same, same ideas. And I think it is the ideas that come about with everybody together first that are very helpful in forming the direction you will go. And then I think very often it's sort of back to, um, you know, uh, the research to decide where, when. I think we need the set designer to tell us where we are whether it's somewhere imaginary or whether it's somewhere very real, whether the set is going to be imaginary and the clothes are real, and all those decisions that it's very important that we all make together. And then I think we go forward with research and maybe with rough drawings to just share with the director and the choreographer. And then perhaps we further embellish them and make them so that they maybe are a little more exciting for the actors and so on. And uh, it's slow development. Well, I'm wondering now, in the case of a lighting designer, you, how, do, how does sketching work? I mean, they, uh, the, the scenic designers and the costume designers can sketch out their ideas, but a lighting designer is dealing with light and shadow is dealing with uh, what, mixing a color palette sometimes in a theater. How, how does that work for lighting design? With difficulty. <laughs> 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 it's very tough. When I began my career, I had a little model theater with little model lights, and I actually got directors to come and look at it, which actually got me the work. Uh, nowadays, you can do some things with computers, but it isn't. It, it's getting accurate, but it isn't that accurate. It's power of words and persuasion, I think. Well, I very much agree with what's been said so far. I like to read the script first terribly quickly because there's that strange thing that you never see the play in the same way again after you've read it the first time. Right. So you have, I take it in really quickly, but then of course it's collaboration, it's teamwork. And I do terrible little sketches of mm -hmm. compositions of light, you know, but... I can't draw, which is probably why I do what I do. Well, you were the scenery. Uh, I'm sorry, you were the lighting designer on Showboat, right? In, in 1994. Now that's a, a show with a lot of lighting. There's a lot of you know. There's a lot of uh, detail, lighting plots to deal with right. in that. How uh, how do you, are you? Do you just have to go into the theater and no. begin no. to mix it once you've gotten there? What happens in that process there? No, in that case, one worked for months with Hal Prince and. Uh, Florence Klotz, and I've just arrived. And I'm not going to brilliant, help brilliant you. scene designer. <laughs> that would be Eugene Lee. Eugene, Eugene Lee. Lee. <laughs> the other brilliant scene Yes, the other, the <laughs> other brilliant scene designer. We spent months, yeah. uh, because the show is extraordinarily complicated, and there were many very strange changes. Uh, that had to take place, and then I do endless little sketches and sort of I sort of storyboard the thing in my okay. very amateur way, and then you decide, you know, how the color palette will shift as the costumes shift and the time of day and night shifts. So I do lots of silly little sketches that then gradually gets transferred into sort of concepts for each moment of the play that then finally gets transferred into equipment. But it's all I, for me. It has to all be worked out before you get into the theatre. Then you get into the theatre and you usually change it all. <laughs> right. <laughs> you have to rework it when you get back into the theatre. Uh, John Arnone, I'm wondering about this process. When I've noticed that you've done a lot of work with Edward Albee recently. Uh, you designed the play about the baby and the revival of Tiny Alice. 
and now the goat or who is Sylvia. How do you feel that your work uh, encounters Albee's ideas, Albee's oeuvre? Well, I don't know. That, that's a rather loaded question. I mean, Edward uh, is quite a character. But uh, the great thing about Edward is that he involves himself in the process from the very first meeting. And Edward being a director, uh, even though he didn't direct any of these productions you're alluding to, uh, must be encompassed in terms of his directorial ideas about the piece as well mm -hmm. as you're sitting with the author himself. Uh, he, he is the seat of authority. Uh, so you listen to Edward, and you listen to him very carefully. And uh, Edward in the beginning is, is uh, you know, as I think most people are with their creation, somewhat distrustful. You know, that what are you going to do with it? You're, you're, it's, it's going to be some conceptual nightmare that I'm going to have to run screaming from the theater every night, or we're going to have to fire you, dear boy. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, well, that hasn't happened. Not Certainly. yet. He seems <laughs> to be a successful I, I working on a new one, so oh. I may have another chance. Uh, and uh, you, you listen to Edward talk about the piece, you know, and certainly you, you have become as expert with the text uh, as you can. Uh, Edward is very cautious in terms of wordplay, as you, as you could very well imagine. And uh, you don't, he doesn't suffer fools gladly. So y you have to get over the hump of being careful. Mm. Uh, you have to get over the hump of being intimidated by Edward. You have to engage Edward as you would engage any director, any costume lighting, or other set designer that you might be co-designing with. And once you find the key to that, once you open the door, once you can you know, look at Edward slightly askance, you know, once you can see that little you know, evil twinkle in his eye, uh, you know that you're halfway there. And then he's on your side. You know, he, something that, uh, for instance, with the goat, something that he describes as, as wanting to be very realistic uh, is, is something that is translated in a somewhat abstract way on stage through the set design. And uh, both David S. Bjornsson and I were petrified that he, you know, we were, we, we had worked as hard as we could and that, and that he, he wouldn't like it. And he came in on a Monday after we'd worked on it over the weekend and embraced it and said, why isn't it more abstract? Why isn't it more angular? Why isn't it more, um, you know, imaginative? And uh, so he untied our hands. You know, once he, you know, uh, I think began to trust us and to see in three-dimensional form where we could go with the play, uh, and he saw it living in the, this white model, uh, he encouraged us to go uh, to take it even uh, another step further. And you did then? Oh, yeah. Uh, but, but to a degree. You know, this is very sophisticated work. I mean, this is not, uh, um, I, I mean, and, and not to uh, inflate the work, because we are talking about uh, the work, not about someone's career or someone's ideas. I mean, th this is the, the goat, and working with Edward and David S. Bjornsson are like the purest example of a very rarefied way of working, very extreme. Uh, way of work, very sophisticated. You know, people, you're working with people who are in there whose ages range from 50 to 73, I think. Uh, and all of that experience, that well of experience, mm -hmm. uh, it, it counts for something. You know, I mean, the fact that you can sit there with Edward and say, oh my God, 
you know, you know more, you've seen more, uh, you've experienced more than I ever will. As, as some of these people, younger people in the audience today, I think, I've, you know, you'll, n you'll never have the same experience that we had. You'll never have the same opportunities that we had. But you will make your own opportunities. You know, you will see your own, uh, you know, experience unfold as richly as ours did. And we've been very lucky. You know, a lot of us have been in the right mm -hmm. place at the right time. I think it makes a tremendous difference when um, you have the playwright. I mean, it does alter the way you work because there is that tangent person who has a great deal to say about the characters. And I think that's very true with, uh, with Edward, that he has a great, uh, brings a great deal to your understanding of the characters. Also, he's very, very clear with, about your choices. I mean, uh, Edward's favorite mm -hmm. word that hangs over your head that you're waiting for him to pronounce on anything you do is, well, that is a little cliche, don't you think? <laughs> <laughs> so whenever you hear that, you, you see his lips forming into the cliche. <laughs> and you know, oh, God. I'm, mm -hmm. <laughs> Get me out of the room. <laughs> it could be true of him, too, in a funny way. He loves to have somebody in a, in a pair of, you know, plain slacks and a, and a tweed tweed jacket and, a, and a, maybe a blue shirt and I keep looking at him many, many times as he's telling me this and he's standing there in those exact clothes. <laughs> <laughs> Scott Pask, uh, I'm, I'm wondering about the uh, approaches you've taken in some recent works that you have done. Uh, of course, you're represented off-Broadway now with Take Me Out and it looks like that's coming to Broadway and you're represented on Broadway with Amour. And these are two very different types of approaches to theater. One is somewhat more realistic, even though it shifts, the take me out, mm -hmm, I mean, mm -hmm. it shifts back and forth. But in Amour, you're dealing with a magical, fantastic world that seems to be the realm of the scene designer. The scene designer has to cause Shape that magic. Yeah, yeah. How, how, do, how do you approach those two different? Can you speak about that a little bit? Sure. Um, the workshop of um, Amour we did about a year ago, and when we walked in there, it was very simple, and we just started by shaping the space. We did it all in the corner. So we just, instead of taking this giant rehearsal room, we just took it, and James said, you know, let's just start limiting the space a little bit and start looking at how we're going to, to play with people and move around. And it was a very austere workshop with very simple pieces, and the effects were very limited. We used you know, a rolling rack with bungee cord to take this whole idea of this everyman that suddenly has this ability to walk through walls and, um, and just brought it to a very, very simple skeletal form. And then when we were designing it for the, the music box, I was still intrigued with that corner. And we talked about these references of Magritte and the whole notion of the surrealism and Paris in the 50s and these seductive sort of images. But that corner just became something that I didn't want to, to lose. So again, as we all keep saying, the research is so critical. I mean, stacks and stacks and stacks of at J photographs of period uh, painters, Magritte, and just kind of sifting through all of that and really trying to get your head into the Parisian, that attitude and, and also just the location is so specifically Montmartre and really looking at those streets and the scale of it and then playing with the scale of the musical. It's not a large musical, and we're putting it on a Broadway stage, so it needs to kind of tailor itself to this gem of, of a space and of, of the musical that it is. So we took that corner and then started bringing the, the idea of the street into it, and then 
to take it to a place that had these more surreal qualities and just sort of painted it with this Magritte sky on it. So you had the relief of the street to give it scale and give the people scale. And it, then again, it started throwing out this layer of cobble on it. So it became this wall. And it was just taking that and again, reading it over and over. And it's 38 scenes. And it was a heavily storyboarded show. And just trying to come up with an idea that had a journey to it. Taking this wall and this ground plan that we loved and moving it to an idea of this wall that then becomes penetrated. So it became this heavy wall in its opening scenes. And then as these windows began to open and doors began to open and pieces of scenery would kind of shift in and out, it became this almost storybook that became very, very translucent and transparent. And by the end of the show, these windows became very much more closed down again. It became the wall. And then he actually gets stuck in this wall at the very end. He loses his ability. And then again, he's like pushed into the wall. So he kind of completes that picture at the very end. We started with this idea of this wall. And then it ends there with him. Um, Take Me Out was, I mean, the design of that, the Donmar in London where it began is a co-production with the Public Theater. I'd been fortunate enough to do a show there in the previous year. And the space really dictates incredibly poetic solutions. It's so limited. It has this balcony, or what they call this, the ring and the circle, and a thrust, really, and a back wall that is so ever-present. And Take Me Out to Play that has a number of interior locations, and then you're on the field. And how do you deal with that? And Joe Mantello, the director, is great. And I just such a visually brilliant director, as well as James, who, Lapine, with Amore, he comes from such a, a graphic design background that their visual information, they're very acute. And I found that really incredible and inspiring to work with them. And now that I've worked with Joe a number of times, the process is something that I value deeply with him because we go through these ideas and we just, you feel like what you've gotten to is inevitable and that it couldn't be done another way. And with Take Me Out, I just, we needed these lockers and you need something to deal with the scale of these guys and it takes place in the locker room and then this field, and we started thinking about what are the icons of the field. And I'm always interested in environmental approaches to spaces um, and trying to play with the notions of the different scales of like being in this locker room. There's sort of a, an interrogation scene, offices and things like that, which can be done very, very simply. But you want to be able to limit the scale for those. And then when we're in the ball field with um, one of the characters just going through this incredible speech about how inspired he is, I just want to open up the whole world. So I did this stadium surround that is reflective of uh, Yankee Stadium, and it went through the whole theater. And then the lockers were sort of embraced by this large scoreboard that became this overall structure. We kind of merged the two pieces, the lockers for all the, the men, and then this scoreboard with this large bulb field that was also dealing with the showmanship of the game and the play and, and it was just kind of pushing and pushing and pushing, getting all those things to kind of fit together. And once they did, there wasn't really anywhere else to go. And then space really helps dictate that as well. The limitations made all of those units kind of marry well with each other. Yeah, it's wonderful the way it goes to so many different sort of areas. Uh, I saw it at the Donmar and I right, really was very impressed. Right, that's what we saw impressed. each other, exactly. Yes, it was terrific. Uh, Martin, 
I'm, uh, you're a two-time Tony Award winner for Thoroughly Modern Millie and for the recent revival of Kiss Me Kate. And we have a lot of aspiring designers before us today. I'm wondering if you can tell us uh, if you feel as though you have developed <coughs> a visual vocabulary of some sort. And I'd like others to address this issue as well. That, uh, you know, uh, do you feel like there's a, uh, there are, I don't know, techniques or tricks or something that you return to? Or do you, tell me, what do you think? I guess, <coughs> excuse me, I guess we do all have uh, techniques like you, you were saying, but I think a lot of us hope that we don't have one specific style, I'm sure you know. Um, uh, Millie was born out of such a, the set was already designed, it was such a, um, a, a big glamorous production, so I had to push up all of the style to, to collaborate to, uh, to compete with it, if you will. Um, it's sort of an interesting question the way you're doing it, because of course what you, you do respond to everything, so hopefully every time you design something, it is, um, it's different every time you design for something else. But by the same token, of course, we are the, we are the body of our work. I just, we are, <laughs> I'm not supposed to touch that <laughs> mic. <laughs> we are the body of our work. And so I it's inevitable that we will um, be drawing on things that we've learned and hopefully, uh, hopefully not indulging in our own cliches, I guess but using the strength of it when we can. I mean, I guess I'm a sucker for a red dress and a musical. <laughs> <laughs> I make sure that happens. But, um, and as I told the, uh, the rest of my team, uh, the director and choreographer and playwrights and everything, I said, she can have a red dress. We'll just have to make sure it's the right red dress in the right <laughs> scene. You know, so you do sort of play with things like that. Um, I'm not sure if that's really what you're asking. Well, I think it, I, I think it is. I'm, I'm talking about how do you, I guess how do you begin to tap into, you know, yourself and how that begins to develop and how that v visual vocabulary or for one of an another uh, expression might work. Jane Greenwood is a veteran of more than 70 Broadway productions and has an ongoing yeah, I'm afraid so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and has an ongoing relationship with uh, Lincoln Center Theater. Yes, yeah. And I know you've worked many times with Dan Sullivan uh, on, on his productions. Do you? I, I want you to address this. Uh, I'd like for you to address this, this question about visual vocabulary. Yes. Well, it's sort of. I think we do develop a visual vocabulary. It's, it's inevitable as you go along. Each show, you sort of gain a little more. Uh, sort of sense of uh, who you are as a designer, I guess. Um, I think that um, it's very... We do get typecast somewhat. Wow. Uh, I can say that I have done many, many plays in which the clothes have been the last thing that you would want to talk about. Uh, in that they are totally unnoticeable, that it's part of what the sort of framework of the place and the people are, and they are sort of uh, timeless and very often quite undistinguished. And uh, I, I always say, well, you know, when it comes to the sequence, uh, you know, they pass my name by very quickly, but when it comes to downtrodden and depressed, <laughs> <laughs> But in a way, uh, whatever you do, whatever, whatever the project is, you always sort of attack it with a slightly different way. 
uh, because it's a different project, and it's the n and everybody says, well, what's the most exciting p project you've ever designed? I always sort of say, well, it's the next. Yeah. I mean, yeah. because you're always being uh, recharged and learning about something else, and and you know, it's a, it's a new territory. You go off and you learn about new people and and new things. And How I does think this we're very fortunate. Do you do sketches first? Oh, in between, yes. I do sketches. I do little sketches at the beginning, and I very often storyboard a show. Sort of, uh, I find it very interesting to go through scene by scene by scene and see who's there in the scene. And with the, with the scenery, um, you, you know, we, we may have the same space, but uh, uh, different people come into it. So the picture changes slightly as each group of people come in. And then, of course, the scenery changes completely, and the same group of people are there. So you're making constantly different pictures. I think it's very good to have the thought of those pictures. How close do you work with a scenic designer? Well, very close. I think it's, I think it's like everything. We need a director and he's the captain of the ship. And I think that we all revolve around that. And I think when everybody's working well together, then the wheel turns round well. And, you know, you feel very good about it. And it's wonderful when it is like that. And you know what's fascinating is it always seems that when they're wonderfully successful productions, everybody seems to have a good time together. And when things aren't working, quite working well, you find that little groups tend to sort of slide <laughs> away at dinner breaks. And you begin to think, well, where are we all? Why aren't we all rolling this wheel together? And I think that's very indicative, actually, of how productions do sort of come together. Richard, how, what's your experience of that with working with groups, uh, collaborating <laughs> with different directors and, and that sort of thing? Oh, a total agreement. I mean, lighting is you know, down the totem pole. And the director is in charge, the scene designer sets the overall ambience and visual style of the But we're no good unless you put designer. the lights on. No, um, but then <laughs> we, we turn the lights on. And we're trying to assist everyone tell the story with light. We're also trying to reveal the actors in a wonderful manner, in a manner that's appropriate to the physical situation that the scenery and the costumes have put them in. So it's a totally collaborative process. Now, I would like to think every show is completely different. I would, of course, <coughs> be lying because it isn't, because one has a sort of memory that if you put a light over there and it hits the back of their chin, it might look quite good at that moment. So you do, I fear, fall back on personal, I hate, uh, you know, cliches, it may be, of course, but uh, you, one tries terribly hard not to because every single situation is different. The words are different, the director's different, the designer's different, so you hopefully the lighting is different too. You're trying to pick up all your antennae, picking up inspiration from everyone else, and then you hope to deliver 115% of what you've been asked for. Sure. That's your dream. John, how about you? Well, I know that uh, I was thinking while Jane was talking, the, I was remembering sitting in the theater with her when we did Fortune's Fool, together not long ago. Yes. And uh, uh, th there were some finishing touches. I mean, we worked very closely up front. The, the, the show was 
fabric laden. I mean, it was the it was it was overdressed to to a point where I, you know, it didn't look like anything I, you know, thought I could ever control. And so, on several occasions, I mean, after giving giving Jane the initial swatches to try and help coordinate pieces and stuff, you you begin to then she shares, you know, the swatches for the the costumes with you, and you begin to see how the palette sort of unfolds and, and plays back on I itself. I mean, Martin said something about one topping the other. I mean, this is this the the, the idea of the design. Uh, I think. Well, we're talking uh, about a lot of things right now. We're talking about vocabulary. We're talking about language. We're talking about text. Uh, this is very complex stuff, and we're given very little time. In collaboration. To, in collaboration, very little time to investigate what we're talking about, an almost an encyclopedia of, of, of knowledge and learning here. But we sit down and, you know, given 30 minutes, given an hour, whatever, uh, a lunch break, and start moving the swatches around. And saying, well, no, that that fabric lining would uh, would look much better as the main body of the fabric, when they come on with this particular gown. You know, th there will be a nice complementary sense of, you know, color harmony there that you might not see in the very beginning, or or it, it's brought out to you that your taste in this particular uh, uh, upholstery fabric is is quite frankly rancid, and uh, <laughs> this, this other choice would, uh, you know, so, so she saves me from, uh, you know, making I disastrous. I never. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> but saves me from, you know, making disastrous choices, which, because I might not be seeing the whole picture, or I might be working uh, so quickly that I don't see every little detail. And when I'm working with, uh, you know, uh, curtain fabrics, when I'm working with five different upholstery fabrics, when I'm working with all different carpets, with I'm, when I'm trying to coordinate uh, even colors of, uh, of, of the, the flowers and the vases. You know, when all of this we has to be, you know, carefully thought out uh, in, in terms of what the lights can, mm -hmm. can do to it, how they can accent it, how they can turn it to mud, <laughs> uh, how they... Uh, th there's an interesting thing in, in Fortune's Fool in the, in the second act, the, the uh, the the walls were sort of irredeemably blue striped with a just a but 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 we softened it with just a hint of sort of a gold uh, mist that went over the the top of it almost like a pentimento that you couldn't really put your hand on it was a uh, like a trompe l'oeil a mm -hmm. swag mm -hmm. and uh, in in putting sort of a complementary you know color combination up there we were able to get so many more variations with the lights. And uh, and with the costumes, I mean, someone, the the star would walk on in just this like black, silhouetted oh. costume, and cut through mm. the room mm. like a knife. Mm. Whereas the heroine was dressed in very beautiful sort of flounce, lilac and blue, and gown. Would, would you describe yes, that as yes, accurate it as the was color? Lilac, so yeah. the the color was very contiguous to the to the wall color to the stripes. So there was a wonderful thing where she could almost blend in or she could with the lighting depending on where she was standing she on the moved. stage accent and, and come out and, st and stand out. So in, in, in using all three elements of the design uh, you're able to construct a geometric form which uh, uh, in theory uh, which you can then play with once it gets on stage and, and actualize it. Who and makes those decisions? Who makes those decisions? 
Who makes the decisions? Yeah. Edward Albee when he's available. Underneath it. We at, at, uh, at uh, d like I said, I mean, Jane and I would work on, uh, you know, color swatching and, and, and fabric choices at a, at a lunch break or just sitting down in the theater. You bring swatches of fabric in? It's always helpful, you know, when the lady sits on the couch and her dress doesn't match the couch, you know, it's things right. like that. But Those are things that seem to be frivolous to talk about, but in fact, you really have mm -hmm. to sort of plan and... and but wouldn't you have to work with lighting to see what that does? Yes, yes. yes. Oh, and that's where you come in then. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I always study all, every costume color, every, you know, every detail of all that terribly carefully. And I mean, as John says, these things are very complicated. I mean, the scenery stands there for a certain period of time and the costumes are on the stage for a certain period of time because the lighting can affect the entire composition of the stage constantly, it can change constantly. And you said an actor can come into focus and you can beautify, make normal or destroy the costume wherever mm. it is on the stage. <laughs> so it's a very uh, subtle Business. Does a playwright decide this with you? Does a playwright work with you on the lighting because of Not what often. he has seen? I, I suppose I don't often have the benefit of working for living playwrights. Harold mm -hmm. Pinter I did recently, mm. uh, but he wasn't here very long and the play wasn't very long either. <laughs> um, but most of my playwrights are probably dead. I think. Sometimes that's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> but when you're lighting a show, the director is usually right next to you, isn't it? Yes. Absolutely. More and more, I find, in a lot of things. Yes. yes. I mean, the director is absolutely in charge, in uh, my view. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm the director's servant, you know. I hope to contribute, as Very I said, important. more than the director expects. But uh, he's absolutely in charge. If, if I've lit something and I can sit there and think, oh, wow, that is... Yeah, perfect, isn't it? If the director come in and says, what's that rubbish? <laughs> I change it all. I mean, yeah. that's how life is in the theatre. If I think somebody's in charge, it's the director in charge. I think and the, the team. I mean, it, it's a collective. The, other, the director's the head. The other consideration, I think, that people don't always realise is that uh, we all design these elements and then it all comes together in the theatre. And, you know, it's, it's somewhat of a shock the first time you see it all. And don't you find that, Marty, oh, when no, they first go on yes. stage the first, the first day of dress rehearsal? Yes. I can't, yes. I, I, I'm and like crying. And Richard, <laughs> you, you, you must feel, you know, with the lighting, you, oh, you the, the, uh, suddenly you see it all. And you yes. all have the experience of your set having you've been for a week of uh, technical getting it all there and then suddenly it, everything arrives at the and point people where try you've to got get to excited and fun about picture. it but by the same token there's we did a, a production together the life a musical about the street life in new york in the 70s hookers and pimps and and you never saw a lot of this stuff because I bought it. I mean, I mean, yes, no one saw it. That's right. That's right. The, so right. the first time right. when you actually get it yeah. all yeah. together yeah. on stage. So for 24 hours, I didn't say anything because I was crying. I was doing all of this stuff with lights, and I thought, oh my god, uh, sometimes yeah. good and sometimes just, oh no. my god. <laughs> Tell, I, I remember when Marty and I were doing a production of Harley Granville Barker's Waste. Uh, I uh, I was I happened to know one of his assistants, and I said I'd like to 
you know, you know, say something to Martin. He said, "Come back in two days." <laughs> he's, he's very upset right now. <laughs> he does. He gets very upset. I don't know that yeah. that's. It's easier with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's easier yeah. with set designers, I think, because we see it in the. Shop. In the shop, yes, and, yes. and it, it's so ab it, you well, know it, it's do, not do. abstract at all. It's like well, there, and you're going to. Yeah. We do it. I think it's just because we are, not to. It's a big point. We're we're actually in a room with a lot of people in a very personal situation, situation. putting right. taking clothes their clothes on off, and, and then sudden, putting them on and again. Things all of a sudden that you thought were great aren't fitting, or something's <laughs> not there, or. You think something's half the costume's there, and you're afraid that when everyone sees it, they're going to like it only half there. So that you know, it's a, we're we're sensitive. But <laughs> well, some of the actors, you yeah. know, oh, yeah. chairs don't yes, answer definitely. back. Yeah. Yeah. My favorite thing is when the when the director says, you know, rather coolly, he turns to you and says. Is that the couch we're using? In the <laughs> <laughs> and I, I've come up with no, 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 no. That's the couch from Les Mis. We've borrowed it for the evening. <laughs> <laughs> it's going back. Our couch will be here in two days. Yeah. I remember yeah. a, dis a set designer telling me that uh, a couch had to be taken out of the new Amsterdam roof that had been used in rehearsal because the director and the actors wanted it, and it was just an old abandoned couch up there in a <laughs> rehearsal hall, yeah, and it right. actually was used. In the production, because they all grew so fond of it. Well, yeah. there is that whole just thing of like being very careful about what goes in rehearsal, yes. because you know very those things important. are going to. Oh, can't we have that stool back? Yeah. Or yeah. what about the? And it's really usually a black, careful. broken, four-legged stool covered in formica. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. I mean, it, it, I I don't know how other lighting designers are, but certainly I find the whole thing more nerve-wracking every time I do it, and I have lit a few shows. But I just did this Our Town with Paul Newman that's coming into Broadway. And I, it's a very modest show. I mean, Our Town is quite modest. Yeah. And it's Tony Walton, who is probably my closest friend, is designing. I've worked yeah. with him hundreds of times. And we have, I don't know, a couple of hundred instruments. And one focuses them. And you, the actors come on stage. And I like lighting with the actors. I hate doing it with an empty stage. And they start rehearsing. and. and what have I done wrong? This is just <laughs> awful. <laughs> and then you get through the rehearsal somehow, and then you say, well, nip up the ladder and move that two inches that way, and that one three inches that way, and then oh, it's a little better. But this is an ongoing process. I go through about, I mean, two dress rehearsals and three texts, and it's only like the last one you sort of think, well... Might do. <laughs> well, do you ever, after after it's opened, do you ever go back and tinker with your designs at all? Have you ever had a, you know, because they don't like to do that. They like to. It's well, you've been paid. Everybody's been paid. You, have, you don't want to pay more union. And not terribly popular in New York. In no. London, where I used to work <laughs> at the National, we used to do that a great deal. Go back and and also, I'm a great believer in the teamwork with one's crew. Yes. Uh, lighting is not necessarily an absolute automatic thing. Now, this is a technological issue because nowadays people tend to just press a button and it moves. But in the better days, the electrician can bring something to it. The board operator can bring something to the movement of light that yeah. often you haven't got by opening night. I always yeah. encourage my crew at the National Theatre, you know, if, if you think that should accelerate or deaccelerate, do it. Mm -hmm. I'd like you to phone up and tell me, mm -hmm. and I'll come back and look. But it's again all a partnership. The crew mm -hmm. are all part of that same network of the creativity of the show. How has, the, how has technology affected 
uh, design, or specifically focus on lighting design for a moment. How have, how have lighting design styles changed over your career, and how has uh, um, technology affected that? I mean, you, you say now they just press a button and it happens, and you don't yeah, get that sort of That's a very good point. How yeah. do you get a spotlight on a person? <laughs> well, you, it's helpful if the person stands in the right place. But Vivian Gitt once told me that she stopped working on the stage when they did away with the footlights. Ah, yes, that's there was a long no way that she got lighting up. Yes, yes, that's a very long subject and a, a good one. No, I mean, the technology has changed beyond comprehension. But as all technology, some things remain exactly the same. I mean, one of my favorite lights was invented in 1933, and David Hersey and Andy Bridge use it, not only me. But yes, now we have automated lighting. That, you know, you can light, put any light anywhere if you can afford them or if your producer can afford them. They are expensive. Uh, computers control it all. You can memorize things. I mean, lighting is actually, in many ways, much easier than it used to be because basically you can compose a picture with hundreds of spotlights that can change from one picture to another, to another, to another. In the old days, your main consideration was, could the men push the handles at the right moment in time? Uh, Nowadays, it's all, you know, it's all automated. Although, so you know, I, I, one of my f I two favorite uh, uh, experiences working with lighting in the theater lighting designers was as an observer, uh, watching Theron Musser's designs for Ballroom, mm -hmm. uh, which uh, admittedly at the time Theron, of course, was working with a very, you know, uh, infant, you know, uh, freshman type computer, but uh, which would break down frequently. But still she was working with, uh, w w with instruments that were uh, somewhat fundamental and somewhat, you know, um, and certainly not uh, as, as sophisticated as moving lights and, right. uh, and what we have today. But I remember her creating color in the air like I had never mm -hmm. seen created before, just like split-second changes. I mean, right. whole sort of songs and poems happened mm -hmm. in the air yes. uh, w w with her light cues. And, and, and it wasn't just the computer that was doing it. Right. And my, my other favorite observation was in the uh, old Playwrights Horizons, which none of you will ever see, but you'll see the new Playwrights Horizons in April. Uh, in the upstairs room, the little mm -hmm. small room upstairs, watching Jennifer Tipton assemble a coffee can and a light bulb <laughs> and C-clamp it to a pipe. And I just sat there and watched her, and she finally looked down and saw me, and she said, get out of the building. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the magic of the theater, Yeah, isn't it? and I thought, you know, but most of us are cer certainly old enough to have, you know, been in theatrical, you know, experiences where we were working in the basement with some sort of yeah. dye pot that, oh, yeah. uh, you know, times. that uh, on some, you know, uh, rickety burner, you know, who, who were assembling lights out of uh, uh, out of coffee cans, who were spending. I remember when we first did uh, Vanities, um, that was a joint uh, venture between Playwrights Horizons and uh, Lion Theatre Company. We only had we had no money. There was no budget. And uh, Playwrights Horizons was offering $100 for the fees for the writer, the director, and the designer. <laughs> uh, so we took those fees, those $100, uh, which the times three was 300 and and bought the lumber to build the set by ourselves. Right. 
uh, in the evening. And uh, even when that show moved off Broadway and ran for like five years, it was the same set that we had cobbled together for $300 back then. And, and it's sort of like that, uh, you know, sort of what I try to remember, the, 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 those days which were an extension of my student days. Uh, you know where the where the work was uh, had an honesty and uh, a fundamental level, mm -hmm. uh, hands-on level that uh, that uh, you know perhaps some of the technology today doesn't necessarily afford. I mean, the thing with technology today uh, that, that that we access is that uh, the, to the, to what degree do you understand it? Uh, for it to amplify and inform the design. You know, if it's just moving stuff around, yeah. it just moves stuff around. But if you understand technology, or the technology, which is not very sophisticated. I mean, it's not much more than uh, assembling cars. And, you know, a Ford, mm. Ford Motor Plant is, is the program. Uh, but if you understand it and know how to work with it, especially in a musical, it can you know, uh, add to the vocabulary, add to the language. If you don't understand it, <laughs> if you don't understand how to work with it, if you don't know how to uh, turn its subtleties, uh, you know, you have no business even walking in the front door. It's a great time. I don't understand it, and I want you to tell me, how do you get water coming out in the shower? And take me out. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> That's, what That's, what That's a great that. question, actually. How does that work? How does that work? And in London, we. And how it, hot is it so that those guys don't it's freeze? It's really hot, actually. It's really hot. Um, Explain how it's this better. Works. I mean, the funny thing is, the guys here love it, and the minute they got back from London, they said, you know, we can't do showers in the UK, and I, I find that actually traveling there, the showers are never. That's good. It's good as they are here. <laughs> so it was like uh, typical that the production wouldn't be the same way. Do you mean on the stage or in the apartment? Both. The hotel? <laughs> 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 they translated. You know, the, the hotels weren't, weren't great, and we couldn't get it. We did it pretty well there, but it, it, there's a big reservoir above the stage. And would you explain what happens on stage? Um, in the play, there's a shower scene. Actually, two of them, and this, which is kind of hidden in the grid, there's a, a line of showers that, that descends over a platform, and two of them go on, they go on with, um, through the, the electric board, they're automated, they come on at different times, there's a group of six guys out there, buck naked, and then it's filtered through, it comes down from above, and it goes to the floor, the floor at the public theater was built up a foot, so it, there's a drain, and it's all, it's, um, Which theater is it? And they it's all the take a pocket. shower, they I mean, it's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it sounds good. And it's pumped out each night, and um, cleaned, it's almost dealt with like a pool would be dealt with, but it's yeah. not visible, it's not seen, like Metamorphosis, you kind of have that water there, it's such a visual aspect. Here we did a floor that, has to be architectural and deal with castered pieces that are moving around, chair feet and all of that, but then also needs to drain. But you just didn't want it to be like a subway grating, something like that. It needed to be an architectural surface that had some character. And it, it just worked. It's, I mean, it's with the tricks of technology, too. There's just automation to get this nozzle to go on at the same time as this one. A this actor comes in at this time. This one comes in at another. They both have to go off at the same time, and then the rig goes out. And then another time, they call, come on at the same time. So it's very, it's very, very specific in all the placement of the actors and, and... How big an area is it? I would say it's about 12 feet across. And when we move it, it's actually going to be a linear 
shower instead of what we have now, which are they're kind of springing off in two directions up mm -hmm. and down stage. How would that work in a smaller theater when you moved? Um, at the Damar, it was the same system, manually flown, and then it had it was run through the, the um, light board because they were done with electronic um, little automated pieces. That there were smashed people in the front row. They're pretty close <laughs> to the people on the front row. You got a little ambient mist, I would say, <laughs> but um, <laughs> it's not too bad. It's not too bad. It's a wonderful phenomenon to see. Mm. Oh, nice. I, I lit the original version of Singing in the Rain in London at the oh. Palladium, <laughs> and that was a true nightmare. <laughs> it poured with rain through the whole number. Sure. And we had like eight light rain curtains and into a tank. Mm. But the trouble is the tank had to be struck in like 45 seconds, and it was full of water. Absolute nightmare. So the thing with that is like fun it's difficult. fun, but it's also like the thing is like the, the biggest problem is drips. Like, is yes. it going to drip through yes. the show? Yes. yes. And you design these rigs, and you work with the, tech, the technical staff, and come up with these great solutions. You know, yeah. we did these. It seems sort of elementary, but you know, we take the pipe, have it make a little kink up and down and around, and before it gets to the nozzle. So if there's any standing water in it, it's not flowing down to the nozzle. It stays behind it and needs the pressure yeah. to push it up and over that that hook. So there's yeah. simple things, mm -hmm. but it saves you from watching a rain fest during my, the whole my show. My favorite water effects are the Bellagio in Las oh. Vegas. <laughs> I saw it last week. I, 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 I'm a sucker it's for that. Amazing. I'll just stand there for 30 minutes yeah. and, and watch All it. All those fountains. Excellent work. Have you yeah. seen the, the uh, fountain, Isabel, at, uh, at the Bellagio in Las Vegas? Yes. Pretty astonishing. impressive. Huh? Quite astonishing. So. I guess th this sort of something that John Arnone said drove me in another direction slightly. I started thinking about, you were talking about your student days and the extension of your student days and you know, um, what was happening in those, those times. And you know, we have a, a group of, of students here today who are thinking about design and, and who want to do design. I guess the question that arises is how, does, uh, how do you get started? And how do you keep it going? And you know, clearly you were pooling your resources with two other designers to make a show, to mm -hmm. create the magic of theater. Mm -hmm. How do how does that happen? How Scott, for you, how did that uh Well I had the great fortune of also going to Yale, being educated by Ming, Jennifer, Jane, and a number of brilliant people that are there. And then when I got out, I got was worked with some people that I'd assisted with. I worked on an opera with the designer Mar Marina Dragic, the assistant director of Andre Serban, and I got to be friends. She was at Columbia, I was at school. We got out, we did a show together. We started doing a show downtown. I was painting things in my apartment, and it ended up being the donkey show. And it's mm -hmm. you know still running off Broadway, and that was one of the earlier sort of shows that I did. And then um, just running around with my book. I, I got a really great break from New York Theatre Workshop. Jim Nicola was a great supporter of mine getting out of school, and I got a main stage show there pretty soon after I got out. And then just... It seems to me that you have to know engineering as well. My background is architecture. My bachelor's in architecture, and that is something that really informs the work that I do. It's it, I love materials. I seek out new materials to use in, in, in theater, and it's interesting to me. And the whole notion of, of dealing with the environment and the, uh, the notion of emotional responses that the work can 
illicit is always been important to me. I worked and was fortunate to work with um, assist Robert Brill, and, and Cabaret was a really incredible experience to be the associate on because it was shaping the audience's experience from the moment you reached through the doorway and being able to compress and expand and shape an audience's experience and their reactions from that facet has always been important and has always been sort of fueled by architectural, that, that quest that I had in school for that. And then it, it completely translated to when I was given the commission of Urinetown to be able to take that off-Broadway, find a space that was in this sort of old judicial room, sit in there with John Rando and decide how are we going to put on this musical, pull everything out and kind of recreate it as though we reimagined the space and took details from the step risers. I'm a big fan of just running around and looking at surfaces and, and studying mm -hmm. materials that are real and then taking them to the spaces because the more real I can make that room, the more Again, that like Urinetown goes away because it felt like it was a part of this of that that space that we were in. The details of the balconies were all lifted from the stair risers in that this sort of landmarked stair tower, and developing a vocabulary that that in a way kind of looked like it was there. Well, mm -hmm. I think what we'll do is we'll try to pick up with this. We're going to take a br after our little pause. We're going to take a short pause and uh, ask Isabel Stevenson to tell us about the great works of the American Theatre Wing. Before we get back to the American Theatre Wing working in the Theatre Seminar on Design, I would like to remind you that these seminars are only one of the many year-round programs that the Wing undertakes. You are probably familiar with the American Theatre Wing's Tony Award, which is given for excellence in the Broadway Theatre. We also have important grants programs providing aid to off-off-Broadway off theatres. We now offer six different scholarships for promising students to pursue studies in the theater arts. We have an expanded career guide program for beginning professionals. As a long-established charity dating back from World War I and again in World War II, when we operate our famous stage door canteen, all of our programs are designed to reward and promote excellence in the theater, to introduce young people and their families to theater and the magic it unfolds. We take pride in the work we do and are grateful to our members and everyone whose contributions help make possible the dynamic programs of the American Theatre Wing. We are proud to be a part of this exciting industry as we continue to provide services to the theatre and to the community. So now let's return to our panel on design and our moderator, Jeffrey Eric Jenkins. Jeffrey? Thank you, Isabel. I think we have some questions today, uh, and the questioners have lined up at the microphone, and so we're going to take a few questions to start off with. Hi, I'm Esther. I'm from Manhasset High School, and my question is to anyone of you. Um, it's how do you stand up for your ideas without being trampled over by everyone else, and how do you collaborate efficiently without losing the essence of your original idea? So how do you collaborate effectively? without having your own ideas? Well, you, I, I think uh, t to some extent uh, um, you try and wait, <laughs> delay <laughs> as much as possible. I mean, the, the, what we talked about earlier about the idea of memorizing, of becoming part of the text and, and having that as sort of your Bible that you have to 
fall back on. I, I know what I do, uh, especially since I'm usually, call, as a set designer, called on to work with the director first before we introduce the lighting or the costume designer, although we try and introduce them as quickly as possible, uh, is to listen to the director listening to the play. I mean, I, I believe that since the director is going to be the fearless leader, the, the director is going to be the, our lord and master, that it's important to find within his or her consciousness, his or her process, his or her imagination, uh, what he or she is looking for uh, in terms of a concept for the piece, in terms of an overall design for the piece, how the text is brought to life. So I, I try and listen. I, I, I try and listen before I have any ideas which are so set and concrete that it would d destroy my life to, you know, to, to, to see them overruled or to have to change. In fact, I think that's what collaboration, one of the elements, is the idea of change, the idea of mm -hmm. development, the idea of spontaneity. The uh, imagination, uh, the imaginative process, once you, you know, grab it by its feet and yank it down and, and, and make it walk around on the ground, it, it becomes an awkward sort of thing. I mean, the, the, this is an elusive idea that you're talking about, but a very, very important one. And if you have something that you feel very strongly about, I think timing is very important. Mm -hmm. How you get it sort of out at the right, right time, <laughs> with the right people around. Yes. So, you know, be very canny about when is the best, best time to suggest it. I mean, there is that, like, even just getting those sketches out there, doing what you think is going to be useful, but then slipping that one in, one a in. few back yes. from the ones that you're showing off at the That's beginning. Right. So it just, it's so or if you crazy, think it isn't the right time, just right, shuffle it and then there, say, yeah, uh, maybe. Uh, I know, alluding to the production that we were talking about earlier this uh, today, Fortune's Fool, that uh, Jane and I designed together, uh, there was some dressing in the, in the second act, a bowl of oranges next to the recamier. And I thought, well, the recamier was all in sort of a blue, a very rich blue. And I thought, well, it might be nice just in terms of complementary colors. Let's put oranges in a bowl next to the recamier. And I came back a couple nights later, and there were apples in the bowl, red apples that were so red, I mean, so clearly red, red apples that you could barely even see them on stage. And I, I went backstage to the, uh, the stage manager. Said, Why, who changed the apples to, to oranges? And one night, I said, well, there's an actor in the play who thinks it would be a good idea on his exit to pick up an apple, toss it into the air, take a bite out of it, and then exit. And he couldn't do that with an orange. Yeah. And I said, get the oranges back there. <laughs> I came back another, a couple weeks later, and lo and behold, there were apples there again. And I went back to the stage manager, who was by the, this time completely tired of seeing me. And I said, there, there are apples on the stage again next to their agamier, as if this is the most important thing in my life. And uh, <laughs> she said, well, someone told the director, a friend of the director said that there would be no way that at this time of year they would have oranges in Russia. Oh, dear. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I said, we're in New York for Christ's sake. <laughs> the play takes place in Russia, but we're in New York. You know, so at that point, I gave up the battle, and it was oranges for apples. But do we all believe that theater is essentially a collaborative art form? Finally, collaboration with the audience. Because mm -hmm. no play comes to life 
until it has an audience as part of it. The actors are deeply affected by the audience. They're not just yes, taking on yes. direct direction like Ottoman, are they? I mean, the actors are part. So the whole process is completely collaborative. And I, did, I think we'd all be doing something else if we felt to the contrary. Except yeah. I do think collaboration is talked about a great deal and it is sort of like the holy grail that mm -hmm. we all talk mm -hmm. about. <laughs> but you know, if somebody really wants something and really digs their heels in, it's surprising how collaboration all falls to the side walls. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we say collaboration not to be too negative, but a lot of times we have to admit we're working professionally together. Yeah. Collaboration is the golden mean. It's yeah, what you aspire yeah. to. A lot of shows are not as much of a collaboration as other ones, are there? Right. I mean, you right. Perhaps negotiation is one of the... Yeah, negotiation. Yeah. Well, negotiation and political skills are absolutely part of all our work, oh, isn't it? Yeah. You wouldn't survive ten minutes if you couldn't talk yourself out of such and such a situation. Right. I think what Richard was saying about the, the audience collaboration, I think, is important. I have a good example when we were in previews for the, uh, Edward Albee's The Goat. Uh, the ending is, which I can't tell you, but the ending is very uh, tr traumatizing and very, very traumatizing for the audience uh, and the actors. And uh, there, were, there must have been uh, three or four different endings before they finally uh, resolved and settled on the final ending, but it was because of the audience's response and participation uh, in response to the, to the ending of the play that Edward Albee and the director David S. Bjornsson and even the producers got involved and said, well, oh no, you can't do that, that's, that's impossible. I mean, the, the audience will and then dot, 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 and the next night the audience would respond to the different ending. So after about four or five different endings uh, the, with the audience's participation. Jane, on costumes, when do you do fittings? And how, how do you schedule fittings for your costume fittings? I'm sorry, Isabel. Costume fittings, when yes. do you do that? When do you do it? Well, after the first... Um, um, when you go into the to the costume shop and you talk about the uh, the design and you have a muslin made uh, which is usually in a, a different fabric to the one that you're going to end up so the experiments can be done and and you can look at it on the actor actress and make changes if you want to and mark where you want certain things to be put on or designs or what have you but it gives you a sort of canvas on the body that you can make a lot of decisions about and so what do you do when you have a costume and your actor doesn't want to wear it when do you stand up for that idea? <laughs> what do you do when the actor doesn't want to wear it? Ah, you, well, okay, that's oh, never happened well, to you. Oh, <laughs> many times. <laughs> oh, it happens all the time. It happens to you. Well, I get the other jobs. <laughs> you have to uh, sometimes throw your hands up and admit defeat. You sometimes have to be uh, uh, able to convince them that it is actually the right garment for that particular scene. And, uh, and a lot of, well, of course, you look stunning in this, can help. <laughs> yeah. It helps a lot, wouldn't you yeah. say, Marty? Yeah, it's good to yeah. pay the elevator yeah. man to say it as they were. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was stunning. No. Yes. It was very interesting. I just did a show out of town, and there was uh, a great, uh, you know, I went away from the subject, but I'll finish this. 
a, a great singer, a woman in it, and she was always in jeans and flat shoes and everything, and it was the first time she was acting, not just singing. And the, 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 the work we had to do to make sure that she felt comfortable to all of a sudden wear evening gowns and mink stoles and like it would be hard work, right? No. <laughs> but <laughs> but I mean, for you know, her, but it probably her, was a big was, jump. And it took a couple of fittings where yeah. we had to gain that trust of her just yeah. saying, why am I not in Reeboks? That's the yeah. word. You have to have the actor trust you. Yeah. yeah. And mm -hmm. if they trust you, they will make the journey with you. Yeah. Do you provide yeah. undergarments for their fitting? Yes, very often. What do you have? What kind of undergarments? Yeah. Men, well, whatever the period <laughs> requires. Right. Sometimes it's a corset, sometimes it's a G-string, sometimes it's nothing. You know, it all depends what is needed for the, for the period of the play or mm -hmm. the whatever. Can you tell us about the times when it's nothing? <laughs> <laughs> no, but Scott I can. can. <laughs> 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 Okay, with that answer, <laughs> I think that's a good time to segue to our next questioner. Okay, um, I'm Matt Wright. Um, I'm also from Manhasset High School. My question uh, goes to anyone, and it's, uh, what is more common, uh, people moving the, sense, uh, the sets or mechanical devices? Wow. Well, I just came off a really heavily automated show, so with this one, it's a lot of people backstage pushing buttons, and it all has to do with, I think, the scale of the production, and also it has a lot to do with what the production demands. I mean, you could have a large Broadway show where you're manipulating these objects with manual means because it supports a vision of a show. Yes. This one was meant to be very effortless and magical and things popping in and out and windows opening without any visible means. So it largely depends on, I think, just the tone of the show, and it's a lot of budget. I mean, it does get to budget at certain points as well. In Take Me Out, we have a table that's brought on stage, and it's something that we wanted to avoid. And now that we're doing it on Broadway, it's going to just be an automated telescoping table. It's a very, very simple piece, but it's just to clean up the stage picture and the transition. So it depends on the situation. Uh, Scott's right. It's, 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 it's what's appropriate. I know in a, a production of um, uh, an adaptation we just did of Barbara Ehrenreich's Nickel and Dimed, which mm. is about the workforce, uh, uh, women in low-paying jobs, either like at a Denny's or it's a very popular, you know, uh, a book right now. It was uh, adapted for the stage and uh, multiple scenes, multiple, multiple scenes. And because it's a play about work and labor, uh, we thought it was would be appropriate if there was some effort involved in the moving around of some props, some furniture uh, within the context of a, a turntable which uh, uh, made transitions from one larger scene to the next, but the internal um, uh, moves were all done manually, all by hand, to work in concert with the idea of a, of a labor force that, uh, uh, you know, dealt with mainly with manual labor. So sometimes it's needs and sometimes yeah. it's budget. With well, the it's like musical, even you're in town budget. also, it's like there was a, a, a laugh at one point because I guess there was a brownout on Broadway and I got this phone call, yeah, we're the only show that didn't have any problems because the, the whole right. musical is done manually. Mm -hmm. I mean, not mm -hmm. that there's a lot of moving scenery, but this wall that really tells the whole story. Right. It's a very, very stripped down idea of the production and the sort of band of performers are telling the story and 
you know, right next door is another but musical it's the with style a zillion. It's chosen. Absolutely. That's very appropriate. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Is there anything that keeps you from using an actor, though? Any union? Because that's part of it. You can't always have a union. Oh, sure. There's yeah. a, there are equity rules yes. about when an actor can, if it's part of a scene, part of an entrance right. or an extra, uh, exit, they can move certain things. Uh, but you can't just gratuitously have an actor come on and say, <laughs> you know, move this chair, bring this right. prop on. If they're not a part of the scene, or it's right. so they yeah. somehow d doesn't introduce them into the scene. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay. And our next questioner. Hi there. My name is Jay Bloomrosen. I work at the Manhasset School District. Um, I design their lights and sound, and I basically have warm and cool to work with. Any suggestions how I can be a little more creative? How I can make my lights apply to each show when I have such limited facilities? This is a good oh my God! This is me. You're on. I never know how to light a show if I don't have more than X lights, and you haven't said how many you have. About fifty. And you can do a great job. Great job. Uh, I was asked the question earlier about technology. Lighting people tend to get a bit obsessed with technology, and we are living through exciting times with it changing. It isn't very important in lighting technology. What's important is what's in your head. Your imagination is the foundation of lighting design, not technology. Now, the less you have, the more difficult it becomes, I freely admit. But with 50, you can do interesting stuff, unless the stage is 200 feet wide. Good it question. seems, uh, if I can just say, it seems that sometimes I work on, on shows and I look up and all of a sudden you see 2,000 lights now. It's become mm -hmm. sort of fashionable to use a huge amount of lights mm -hmm. and you'll go, wow, it's a one set play. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I have no, but I, 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 yeah. I, there, It is a bit of a style now to use a lot of lights. I have to admit, I, mean, mm -hmm. I may betray my age or something, but I find it somewhat offensive, the amount of lights that are all too often used yeah. now. I mean, there are so many lights you can shine through a 45-foot proscenium opening, and if you've got over 400, it seems to be somewhat excessive. Oh. So yeah. I think yeah. modesty is a rather good idea. I try and use the minimum amount of equipment. I still use a lot, but I certainly never hang up something that I haven't got a real purpose for. I think it's irresponsible. Mm -hmm. I think we all have a responsibility mm -hmm. to our producer, apart mm -hmm. from anyone else. Yes. It all costs money. All right. And it comes down to really your idea yeah. for the... It, it also takes electricity if you turn them all on, and that's irresponsible these days as well. Next questioner, please. Hi, my name is Rachel Mosgrove, and I'm a teacher in Manhasset School District. And uh, what could you say to the many very talented students going up to colleges about education um, in order to become a designer? What's the best education to get into? Uh. <coughs> Hi, you, Jane. Jane is actually... Uh, a professor at uh, uh, Yale School of Drama. And perhaps she could take part of this. Well, I guess after 26 years of seeing students come and go, I really feel that uh, uh, a, a wonderful education in life is the most important. Uh, to, to read, to, to have an understanding of plays and of literature and to go and see as much as you can and travel and get as many varied experiences as you can 
because I don't think you can teach somebody to be a designer. I think it's in your soul. And you can, only, you can have wonderful methods and good experiences, and good experiences with your peers, which I think is invaluable. And the people that you meet while you're at college that you come out with and sort of go on to do wonderful things. But I think to start, you need to observe and, and see what it is in the world that you're interested in and, and sort of get as much education as you can roundly. And then it will help you. Yeah. It's like in set designers, we have to learn. We have to know so much. You have to master yes. so many fields that, I mean, I found architecture incredibly helpful and just developing a sense of scale and proportion and getting an eye. And But it's also like the visual arts research is such a huge part of it all. Art history is such a major part and really having facility with all of these facets and then looking at, if you want to find a career in design, then look at refining all of those skills that you've brought to to a life that you've had already. Go it's and it's see really important to travel much. to like see things in, in Europe and, and and look at painters. And I'm fueled by modern art and architecture a lot, and it just fills my work. Yeah. And if I can say to look at everything that your other designers are looking at too. I'm a costume designer, but I love looking at architecture. It informs you. Yes, everything yes. informs you. Looking at um, MTV and then going to see a really staid production at the Metropolitan the next night, not that they're all staid productions, but I mean if you see something that's really traditional and then you see something that's really whack the next night, that's better than just saying this is what I see, this is what I do. You know, look in this room and look at each other and sort of take an education from it. Mm -hmm. Stuff like that, everything. Yeah. Also just avoiding opinions not to form opinions, not to listen to other people's opinions. <laughs> so ignore what I said. <laughs> All right, thank you. Next questioner, please. Thank you. How does one get hired in the design field? Uh, do you have any secrets of, uh, other than the usual? Do you have any what are pearls the usual? of wisdom? I'd like to <laughs> <laughs> I Answering in it. <laughs> the, uh, oh. How do you get hired? Uh, a lot of people uh, find that the connections they make in school, you know, uh, if we're, yeah. well, since we're talking about designers, uh, the, the connections you make with other director, st students that are directors, uh, somehow will well, connect. Uh, you know, yeah. th th there's that. But how do you address the you know, the, the person who comes to New York that didn't go to Yale, didn't go to NYU, but came to, <laughs> or who, what, who didn't study design at all. You know, where do you go uh, uh, to, to find the source for, for, for being hired? Where, 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 where does that person land is, I think, who she, we, sh we should address. I mean, I think we can be more help to, to the person who's sort of at sea uh, here in New York for the first time or wherever you might land. I think in, in the lighting field, the assistant route is a very valuable very one. Yes. Is it parallel in Absolutely. costume and series? Yes, it, must yes, it is. I, I mean, many people much. have worked as assistants to other people, and mm -hmm. you know, you can easily out-impress yourself with your producer. When, you know, when the, the aged senior designer is relaxing, you can go up to the producer and win him over, and he'll <laughs> hire you next time. <laughs> the, uh, the other thing is that there, there are several, several of us belong to or, or have studios <laughs> in New York that are comprised of either just one person or two or three or four 
different people. I mean, I, I always encourage people that come to interview, that have found a way to uh, the, the studio I work in, uh, I inform them of the other studios and the other designers that I know. And sometimes, if I can, if it's a public, if it's a listed telephone number, we'll provide them with a telephone number to go and interview at other studios with other other designers and offer yourself as an as an intern. I mean, it, you you have to uh, be willing not to you know make a living at it for. Mm -hmm. A while, and, and I think part of you know coming to New York, if that's what we're talking about, it's very uh, difficult. Is it is it is difficult? I mean, do you, you know how you support yourself, where you live, who you who you you know who you your, your circle of friends? I, I think is also very important. Just to your circle, your buddies, you know, mm -hmm. and and if there are other actors that you hang out with or artists that you hang out. I mean. We, we are a little bit more selective, but I find that younger people, generations coming up after us, are hanging out more with like visual artists or with filmmakers or with, with the other related, related fields. It's not just theater, and I, I think that's a great thing. I think opening up the venue to, to uh, the experience of, of other uh, fields is good and also multiplies the number of opportunities that may or may not come your way just by Oh, I, did you hear about, you know? I'm following up on contacts with people yeah. that you make, keeping in touch with people. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if ever there's an opportunity to say, well, you know, I'd like to do this, go in and, you know, be, be kind of strong about that. Is, also, it is it also important to say that it's a very, very tough life for 99% yes. of the people yes. who try and do it? And you should only think about it if you cannot possibly conceive of spending your life any other way. I don't, I don't know mm -hmm. that I would. Yes, Richard. <laughs> what were you going to say? Sorry, what? <laughs> that just depressed me. <laughs> but actually, um, I very much agree with what Richard said. Well, <laughs> I say it to do. people who come to my door. Mm -hmm. But I say it actually not about designers. I say it specifically about costume design, I'm mm -hmm. afraid. Mm -hmm. but, um, but I do think coming in with a really great attitude, you know, a real positive, shy is not a good thing. Yeah. Um, and uh, because we need people with positive coming in. We're often, if you guys are like me, bombed out with so much work that we enjoy energy coming at us. Energy. Mm -hmm begats energy. Mm -hmm. um, and you also have to just practically, if you come to my door, you sort of have to know something about what you can do for me. If you come and say, um, if your only sentence is, I need to learn and you would be someone to learn from, it's like, <laughs> that's great, but do I you don't know what to do? Mm -hmm. You know, just because time. it is hard. We, we, we fight for the people that we hire. No one freely gives us assistant money. Do they? Mm -hmm. Is anyone different on this board? You know, no. you really fight for it. So it's hard if you have to come with a, a big willing attitude and um, and some facility. I think that we can use. You do have to yeah. say that, don't you? Mm -hmm. I, I don't actually. Okay. Uh, I have an intern in the studio right now who's just out of undergrad school and uh, is clearly a very very talented fellow, but it, it, it doesn't come with those skills. The, uh, uh, and I think those are more mature skills about maturity and how one handles oneself uh, in, the, in, this, in this particular world in this, uh, in, in this very specific discipline. I mean, I, I find it rare uh, that, you know, someone would be so, you know, uh, so tailor-made in terms of their point of view or how they could handle me. 
in a way that I would find them uh, someone attractive to work with. Uh, this, this, I, I find the interesting person uh, someone who, who isn't that polished yet, who isn't that slick, you know, that doesn't know how to, to work me. In fact, I don't think you're that's saying not what that I'm saying. Really. No, I'm, just to be, I meant if someone comes to my door and they say, um, I want to work with you, then I'll go, okay, um, do you have a problem doing copies of research? Can you research? I mean, I just mean practical stuff like that. I don't really need to make a friend of someone who comes in the door. It, it, that kind of thing. But it means that if someone comes up and they want to work with me on a show and, and I need to know that they know their way around New York and they know how to go into a fabric store and look for fabrics, that's what I mean. That's what I need. You know? Where are the schools of design here in New York that you go to? Well, there's uh, NYU right. and Parsons and FIT. Well, and Yale is and sort of then Yale is in New Haven, and right. there are Carnegie Mellon, and but I came from many schools. But I came from Michigan. <laughs> you came from Michigan. <laughs> but I from didn't know any directors or anything when I got here, and I guess I was just uh, wouldn't go away. But it's like, <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I came from Arizona, and I came here, and I started working in dance, and was an assistant to a painter who was doing things downtown at the kitchen, and then I started befriending the dancers, and would do their shows Thanks when they did them. smaller shows and it was just this process of getting through that and then at one point I decided you know I want to go away and concentrate on text because I felt like I was doing work in the dance world I started doing independent film I wanted to get back to what I set out to do when I came to New York and I needed to take time away and concentrate on text so I chose to go to grad school to do that but keep doing your own work like get out there yeah. if you're assisting people I have assistants that are doing their own shows and I completely support them in doing that they have to be doing their work too so you get the development of a portfolio it's critical <laughs> that you start assembling your own work whether it's through a graduate program or just through sheer just getting out there and doing it alright we have another questioner here <coughs> um, hi my name is Brendan Cole I come from Manhasset High School this question is for everyone um, what is the hardest show that you've worked on and why? What is the hardest show you've worked on? Scott. What lessons, <laughs> <laughs> what lessons can oh. you impart with us today? Amour was a tough one that I just finished. Just um, a lot of lessons in that. A lot of great things, but it just was a technology was tricky. A lot of automation in a small theater with a short technical period. Um, but, you know, there's that adage of, like, you're not an expert until you've made every mistake in your field. So, you know, I think there's a lot of value to, like, learning through bumping up the, you know, the scale and, and sophistication of your projects. Um, more was just a tricky one, uh, just all the way around. I think collectively, the design team found it um, difficult, but I think in the end, very gratifying and very beautiful. The experience was was rewarding. Most difficult. Yeah. Are those <laughs> the ones you try to forget? Well, I was <coughs> just going to say, you know, you do try to forget all the. I mean, difficult implies, you know, the, some hard experiences and some, I mean, I suppose difficult technically can be one thing. Mm. And maybe that's what 
mean. And um, I have a difficult one. Go on, I'll tell, tell story. No, but because it was a different sort of thing. A production of Coriolanus, uh, directed by Stephen Bergdorf? Bergdorf? Bergdorf. At the Public Theater with Chris Walken. <coughs> and he came in from his, he has his own theater company in London, and he came in with a credo of how you should do theater. And um, I guess I can say now that people weren't really telling him that we worked differently here. You know, that the unions were different, the actors' hours were different, the actors would react differently. And of course, this is always hard. They're telling me there's no money, and they're telling him they he can have everything he wants. He wants. <laughs> that made it pretty difficult. It was very it was very hard. It ended up, ironically, even though it was like, well, no one did talk to each other. You know, it ended up being a, a hit. I think just because it was a weird, great um, combination of genius in there with Chris Walken and his doing what he does and Irene Worth and. These actors all sort of coming in and doing something in an empty room. But I'll always remember that as a difficult thing just because we didn't know how to talk to each other within the process. And somehow we got away with it. And it's also like, I mean, through the difficulty of this project, remaining steadfast and being committed to the vision and you know that it's going to get there, it's just sometimes it's just a little trickier. And sometimes things just don't come together as easily as you would hope. But just keep pushing, it's going to get there. The technical things. Those get worked out, you know. It just takes time, and and just keep pushing along. But you had a good leader. I had a great leader. James Lapine was brilliant, mm -hmm. and had an incredibly brilliant vision, and we got there, and, and we're all pleased and thrilled with it. What about the unions? In order to get into the theater and work in a, in a production, you have to belong to the union. Mm, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you know, unions, yeah. unions, of course, are a, a question that are uh, difficult to answer, and it's, it's many layered. Uh, we've sort of run out of time today, and I want to take this opportunity <laughs> to thank uh, all of our wonderful panelists for sharing their time, experience, and talent with us today. And we hope that you've enjoyed uh, this panel as much as I have. Uh, this has been the American Theatre Wing's Working in the Theatre Seminar, coming to you from the Graduate Center of the City University of New York. Thank you. <laughs>